This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio. Welcome to Leadership in Action, Sirius XM's business radio powered by the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Mike Yuseem, Director of the Center for Leadership, and I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Anne Greenhall, who is the Deputy Director of the, uh, the, well, the leadership program here at the Wharton School. Our third host, uh, Jeff Klein, is off today. New episodes of our show uh, premiere every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern here on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. And of course, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. So I'd like to introduce now uh, Scott O'Neill. Scott, really great to have you here on our program. Thanks, Mike and Ann. I'm thrilled. I even love the title. I've listened to several of your podcasts. They're wonderful. They're informative and instructive. I just love the notion of leadership in action. I really do. It's it's not a it's not a passive job, that's for sure. Uh, it's well put, leadership in action. Thanks. And that, Scott, is going to be our topic with you. Just a couple words about you. You're CEO, Chief Executive Officer of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, um, also known as HSBE. And Scott, though, we're really here to talk with you about your new book. Listen carefully, everybody. Be where your feet are. Seven principles to keep your present grounded and thriving. Uh, Scott, we all want that. We think about that. So we're going to talk about that. So welcome to Leadership in Action. And Scott, I'm going to just uh, jump in by asking you uh, about the title, Be Where Your Feet Are. It's a metaphor, of course. And give us a a bit of a sense for why you chose that title and what it means. Sure. The world is swirling. Um, I feel like even in my job, my day job, we're talking about programming, not only for the fans in the arena, but we talk about second screen and third screen experiences for fans at home. Um, I sit in a living room with my children and they have their laptops up doing homework, their headphones on listening to music and and an iPad up to play a game in between. I feel like there's so much noise out there and we have to slow down because our brains are not efficiently operating. We can't possibly be world-class in anything if we're distracted. So that's the first thing. It's just, you have to be where your feet are. Simply put, as I say at home, uh, phone down, head up. You know, it is more than that though. It truly is. Um, It's about making sure that when when you're at work, you're at work. When you're at home, you're at home. That sometimes sounds a lot easier and simpler than it actually is. I remember coming home uh, after we were in the process days of the Sixers. We won 10 games that year. So middle of the year, I was grumpy and grouchy. I'd been hearing the cat calls from the stands. Uh, Social media was lit up like a Christmas tree. We've been hearing the rings from the media that were pretty nasty. And I came home in a pretty uh, uncomfortable mood. I remember my wife, Lisa, we all need accountability partners. And my wife, Lisa's mine. And she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, are you kidding me? Did you see that game tonight? And she said, yeah, no, I saw the game. I said, did you hear what? I said, yeah, I heard. I heard. She said, but hey, when you come home, you got to be a dad. You have to be a husband. Like, this ain't going to work. And, you know, it's a it's a good reminder to all of us. And I'd say the same thing at work. I mean, you walk into our, our workplace, and we have a table where you check your cell phone before meetings. And uh, I will tell you, my Gen Zs and my millennials uh, want to throw up on me at my rule. 
and they don't think it's funny. And when they ask me, how am I going to take my notes? And I say, grab a pen. It's like a foreign object to them. But I will tell you, like, I'm, I'm as interested in what happens before the meeting as I am during the meeting, because the before the meetings right now in the world have become like elevators. We all just look down. We look right down on our feet, in our case, our phone. And I think for us, there's really critical importance coming out of the pandemic that we find connection. And to find connection, you got to lift your head up and put your phone down. And you have to ask, how was your weekend? Or how's that project you're working on? Or I heard your daughter scored the winning goal. Or how was your vacation? Or, hey, we have a big game coming up. Is there anything I can do to help? That is missing from the world right now. Great, Scott, thank you on that. Uh, I should mention that among the properties that you are responsible for, or the organizations more properly put, you are responsible for are the Philadelphia 76ers of the NBA and the New York, uh, Jersey Devils of the National Hockey League. We're gonna be talking about um, your role in, in managing or leading these teams as well in a few minutes, but let's stay on what you just uh, referenced here, keeping your feet uh, where they should be, uh, getting focused. What, just to make it a bit more personal here on my part, what does it take to really get your mind wrapped around home when you're home, work when you're at work? Is there, is there a tactic or a device you use sure. to get yourself totally focused? Yeah, I called a friend of mine he, uh, the other day. He said, hey, Scott, I got the perfect anecdote. Um, he said, I have a worry tree outside my house. And uh, I drive up, I put my hand on the worry tree, and my worries float away. And I was like, hey, I need one of those. And haven't been able to find one, unfortunately. <laughs> so I, I went with a process instead. Um, I, I, I really sometimes wish I had one of those trees, but I don't. And I can tell you the first thing you need is perspective. Um, there's, a, there's a story in the book about a colleague I, I work with named Dave Schaller who runs our communications and um and he grew up in a trailer park his dad was an addict and um in and out of rehab facilities and he remembers vividly leaving the trailer park in an old beat up uh, minivan with his mom and his three siblings they're going to pick up their dad who just been checked out of rehab and he's mad like he's only 11 years old but he's mad like he's mad at his life he's mad at the situation he's mad at his dad he's mad at his mom he's mad he's in a crappy car and he lives in a trailer park and he drives up to this shelter to pick up his father. And he looks over, he's got his three younger siblings in the car and he looks over and he sees this woman, she has a blue duffel bag and three kids. And at that moment, he said that, that was a transformational life changing moment because he's looking at her and he says perspective. That's what he had. And he couldn't detail that or articulate that at the time, but he understood she had nowhere else to go. She did not have a trailer park to go home to. She wasn't picking up her husband. She was moving there. She had all her possessions in this blue duffel bag. And for him, those moments of perspective that we all have are critical for us in our simpler, more simpler lives and, and hopefully uh, more um, cushy lives. We are still in the eye of our own storm. And I've, I have three daughters and, and my 14 year old for her, it might be, you know, her friends are, are at a party and they're on TikTok and making a video and she's not there. And at that moment, the world is crashing down. Now, we that's inconceivable to us as adults. But for her, she's in the eye of that storm. For my 17-year-old, who's wrecked a couple cars along the way, for her, that, that next crash, that's the eye of the storm for her. And I'm just, all I care about is she's okay. I wish she were a better driver, but that she's okay. But for her at that moment, the world is collapsing. You know, for us, as we get older, you might, you know, you might lose a job. You might be fired. You might have a friend take his own life. You might 
have trouble at home. You might have social anxiety, all that stuff. By the way, all that stuff happened to me. So all that stuff is when you're in it, you're in the eye of your own storm, but having perspective, being able to pull that lens back, okay? Get right out from under that tree and just pull back and see the forest and have a vision for the future that you want to create, I think are, are critical. So perspective is the first. Second, I talked about before is just having someone that loves you enough to give you feedback. And that can be someone that, that works for you, that can be a peer, that can be a boss, that can be a friend outside of work, that can be a partner at home. Um, in my house, sometimes it's my children. I mean, they know that the, the, the language I use at home is the language I use at work. The leadership I use at home is the leadership I use at work and church in the community. And so I, I'm very, I'm kind of the same. I, I'm the same person. I show up. So I have had my children say to me, dad, be where your feet are. And that does not feel great. I've had my wife say, I'll win my phone up. Meaning that's more important. What you're doing right there is more important. Go ahead and do it. Um, at work, I have incredible accountability partners. Hugh Weber, our president, has called me a couple times and said, hey, you doing okay? I said, yeah, I'm doing fine. So that that meeting, that meeting didn't look like it was going fine. So I'm just checking in on you. Boy, yeah. what, a, what a gift, right? What a gift. Scott. So the third, third step is just, go ahead, sorry. No, no, keep going. The third step is, is might be the hardest, at least for me, and that's to find reflective strength. Um, and and I, I have difficulty standing still. Um, I have difficulty meditating, praying, finding peace. And, um, and when, I, when I dedicate myself to that, and, and for me, it's, it's become a whole host of different things I do to find 10 minutes of peace every day. And uh, it can be after a workout, just sitting outside, listening to birds chirp. It can be yoga, which I don't do. Meditation, which I really struggle with unless I'm, I'm getting ready for bed. Um, prayer, med- prayer, scriptures, all that kind of stuff. I, I'm a little more disciplined because it's just process focused. But finding that reflective strength kind of, I, I think, will help. And then the last step um, is what we call leadership constitution or a mantra. So, and I think everyone should write one and have one. And um, Rich Hill of Gabriel Consulting in Chicago introduced me, me and my management team to this, actually through my brother, Michael, who runs an incredible company, a healthcare tech company called GetWell Network. Um, and the leadership constitution is an articulation of who you are at your core. And you simply answer the two questions. I declare that I am. And you can count on me to be. And you answer those questions. Uh, you, you type them out. You, it'd be helpful to get some feedback um, from, from those you love. It's not who you aspire to be. It's actually who you are. Okay. Um, at your best self. At your best self. And, um, and you put that up in your mirror or at your work or on your phone in your notes. You read that every day and, and life gets better. So that's the process that, that I go through. Scott, great guidance. And now I better understand that phrase that you offered up at the outset, phone down and heads up. Let's bring Anne into the dialogue. Anne. Oh, thank you. And Scott, really such a pleasure to have a chance to speak with you. Um, I appreciate your four um, guiding principles, perspective, feedback, reflective strength, and then writing your leadership um, mantra or constitution. I'm, I'm just curious. Um, how did you come to these principles and these insights? Was there some pivotal moment that gave you like an aha? Or is this something that you have understood your whole life? And it's just now as a mature adult that you're able to articulate it. Thanks, Anne. You know, I'm, uh, I'm the son of, of two leadership development professionals. Um, so yeah, right. So at, at the time when I was seven years old, I was collating books for my, my folks and, and they, um, they have taught leadership principles 
to Xerox, ADP, Texaco, McDonald's, uh, all around the world. And so I, I, I was pretty blessed at a young age um, to be exposed to the principles and our, both our PhDs. And so it was a laboratory growing up, I'm, I must say. Um, there were five of us born in six years. Wow. Uh, my, my folks um, worked quite a bit, traveled quite a bit, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and used all their uh, leadership jujitsu on us uh, from the time we could, we could walk and talk. And so I, I feel like, um, you know, I, I was one of those just, you know, j- just blessed to be born into the family I was, quite frankly. Um, and from that, I've, I've had, I, you know, I, you know, we were, what would I say, our, our family saying is what we, what we lack in talent, we make up for in confidence. So, so we haven't lacked for that. Um, and, um, and I, I will tell you, I, I wanted to, to do what I was doing at a very young age. So, um, and uh, I, I was convinced 100% I was going straight to the moon, I, I can tell you. And I didn't, what I didn't understand or appreciate at the time and only could reflect back when I had something very tragic happen to me was just that like that journey is where all the action is. And that's where all the fun is. And that's where all the connections are. And that's where all my friends are. And that's where all my learnings are. And that that journey that and I don't I don't mean the the wonderful path skipping down the path. I mean, the one where you trip and fall and twist your ankle and run into a tree and trip over a rock and stumble down the mountain. Uh, Because when you get up top of that mountain, I mean, you learn a few things. One, it is freaking lonely up there. That's the first thing. And the the second thing back you say that was the fun, the fun I didn't appreciate the journey I just had. That was where all the action was. And then the the next thing you learn is, man, I got to find another mountain. Because I do not want to be up here very long. And so, so I, I've, I've spent a lot of my time over the last five years kind of focusing on the lessons that I've learned along that journey. I, I feel like we all have purpose in life. We all have that why. And I, I'm pretty clear what my why is. My why is to help uh, develop the next generation of great leaders. And, and whether that's, you know, in a small group, a church group, or whether that's a community group I work with, or whether that's my daughters, or whether that's at the Sixers Devils our venture fund, our real estate group, or our esports group, all the uh, other companies we have assembled. So it's a, it's a fun mission. Um, I love what I do. And hopefully this, this articulate my book, be where your feet are, articulate some of that. Thank you. I'm going to jump in for just a second. We'll actually come back to Anne, but I just need to remind listeners that this is leadership in action, business radio, Sirius XM channel 132. I'm your host. I'm Mike, you see him. I'm here with Ann Greenhall. And we are in dialogue with Scott O'Neill, CEO, Chief Executive Officer of Harris Blitzer's Sports Entertainment. And he is the author of the new book, Be Where Your Feet Are, Seven Principles to Keep You Present, Grounded, and Thriving. I think <laughs> three, three very good places to be. So, Ann, back to you. Oh, thank you, Mike. So, Scott, again, so appreciate your response. And you remind us all that leadership begins at home. And began in your own home. You were one of five children, five children in six years. And now you have a wife and three daughters. So I'm just curious, how has being a father of daughters given you some perspective that you've been able to bring bring to your work? (laughs) Maybe in ways you anticipated and maybe in ways you didn't. Yeah, I I don't think I anticipate any of them. Um, you know, I grew up with uh, three brothers and a sister. My sister was the youngest of five, and and it was a male dominant house. I mean that that, and so I was not ready 
or I didn't anticipate what it was like to have daughters. And by the way, it's the once I had my first daughter, I said, give me all girls. I mean, it's the best <laughs> thing you could possibly have. Mm-hmm. And now I didn't anticipate what would happen when they become teenagers, which they are now, which is different. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of energy in the house that's mm-hmm. sometimes not, not positive. But I, I will tell you, I have a, a wonderful, I've been blessed, a wonderful connection with each of them. They are very different. I mean, you, you can put them at each point of the triangle in terms of just about every attribute um, that, that a, a woman would have. But they're, they're spectacular young women. So I, I learned a ton of lessons. Um, you know, the, the first, I, I guess most importantly, uh, was my youngest daughter, Eliza, who is different. She's um, from me. She's, she's introverted. Uh, she, she has some social anxiety. She is very high. She has incredible sensory perception. She is an incredible feeler and thinker. Um, she feels emotion of others. She feels hurt of others. She is, she is a smart, she's spectacular young lady, um, but, but different, um, different yeah. from how I go through the world. I, you could drop me into North Korea and I think I'd be, uh, have be, been having fun. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't have problems meeting people. I don't feel yeah. awkward walking into a social setting. I, 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 that's, I jones for that, you know? And, um, and what I learned mostly, uh, cause I, I'd read, cause I had never, you know, my wife's introverted, but but a little bit more um, towards yeah. the center of the scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I had not, I just didn't understand how I had, um, how ineffective I'd been as a leader, mm-hmm. given my style towards people yeah. who didn't think like me, act like me, be like me. Yeah. And I, I have like these, these, these vivid flashbacks occasionally of my style, like my style is very much confrontational, debate, discuss, mm-hmm. engage. Mm-hmm disagree come to consensus let's move on you right know, put you up get up on get up you got something to say get up in front of the room let's go make your pitch so, right and and that is a that is a for the for if you work at mckinsey that's a wonderful style you work at goldman maybe for at least the yeah. bankers that's a good style mm-hmm. um but for sports organization when i need um an analytical group you know and i need uh some real um, thought leaders yeah th- those th- those don't actually those don't mesh and yeah. I, I had great insight from a from a colleague of mine, Amy Heaver, who's now at Major League Baseball Players Association Foundation. And she she came in and was charged. We didn't when I came to the Sixers, you know, it was a kind of a mom and pop shop. And um, we didn't even have a foundation. So she was charged with building a foundation and resetting how we were going to make our dent in the world, which she did extraordinarily well and remains a dear friend to this day. And she said, I was doing a six-month check with her. She, she said, um, I said, how are things going? It's wonderful. I said, okay, do you feel like you're part of the team? Yes. Okay, tell me about the three things that are going really well, this, this, and this. Okay, um, tell me about your your mission for the next 90 days. Walk me through your plan. You know, all your basic six-month stuff. And then I said, okay, what's the worst thing that's happening? She said, your leadership needs. (laughs) Great. So, what? I do these leadership development meetings once once a month with my top 100. And we, I mean... I, it's my favorite part of the part of the month, right? Because we get to talk about, um, you know, we can pull a podcast or a video or a talk or, you know, a, you know, um, some long article on things like that. Some are, some are topical of the day and some are more evergreen or on communication feedback and, and life. And we talk about, we're, we're very much a mind, body, soul shop. So we, we very much are stretching you personally and professionally. And I said, Amy, are you serious? So yeah, I dreaded two days before I can't sleep. I said, 
what do I need to change to make this better for you? And she said, I have this fear that you're going to call on me. And I, I don't think well enough. Mm -hmm. I was like, goodness sake. If I ever did that to my daughter, Eliza, she, she, yeah. she, I mean, it would, it, it all crystallized. I was like, oh, right. Of course, need to change my tune. I mean, when I was at the NBA league office and we ran, I mean, the, my team there, I mean, it was Amy Brooks is now president of the NBA. Chris Granger is now CEO of um, the Detroit Red Wings and the Tigers. Dan Reed's mm -hmm. president of Facebook Sports Entertainment. Chris Hex, president of the Sixers. Tom Glick's president of the Carolina Panthers. I mean, I go on and on. That team, like, it was whew, unbelievable. And I ran that thing like, you know, it was hardcore. I just think about all those stars I just mentioned. Yeah. There were some that didn't make it. So what we focus on are the positives. Like this made it. These five made it big. And by the way, plenty of others did out of there too. But some didn't. Yeah. And I wonder at that point in my life, at that point in my career, if I had insight as to how to create an environment where everyone could succeed, how many yeah. other stars would have popped out of that constellation? And I yeah. think more. And no, so that's, that's, that's one lesson that's, that's like, um, and I have several, I mean, I, I, uh, my, my daughter, Kira, my second, um, she's, you know, she's like the painful kid that everything is, you know, it's like, you know, that Lego guy, everything is awesome. She's that kid. She wakes up happy. Okay. <laughs> she wakes up happy. And, um, she's full of gratitude and appreciation. Mm -hmm. And, and I think what I learned from her is, I need to be better about expressing it. I, I, I love the fight. I love the, I'm not great at celebration, you know, and I when we win a game. It's fine. When we lose a game, it's, it's almost like it fuels something different in me. Like I actually, I don't like to lose. I hate to lose. No, sure. But when we lose, all I think about is, and that could be a deal. It could be a game. It could be whatever. What do we need to do differently? I'm like a train consultant. Right. So I, I, so, but Kira, Kira has this wonderful joy in life. Yeah. Um, and she excels at everything she does. She's got this incredible connection with people. Everything she touches, she leads. She runs, you know, she's president of student body, blah, 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 all this stuff. Like, that's her. Mm -hmm. um, but boy, oh boy, how nice is it to just get a text from her in the morning? Dad, just, just checking in, want to tell you I love you. And I was like, oh. yes. And I love that. It's a teenage girl. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so you think about that. Yeah. And you think about the impact it has on me. Right. You know, and I am okay with myself. I know where my mm -hmm. gaps are and all, but mm -hmm. I am, I wake up confident. I'm okay. I know mm -hmm. where I have to improve. I know, I'm a very self-aware, mm -hmm. but I thought, man, oh man. Okay. If that mm -hmm. from a 17 year old girl can make my day, how yeah. can I put gratitude into my right. life better? It's yeah. like, you know, I, I do this exercise when I talk to groups and I have them text their mom. That's the exercise. Okay. 60 <laughs> seconds, text your mother. And I want you to tell her that you love her, why you love her, what you learned from her and how much you appreciate her and why. So they, they go through it. The first time I did that with my mom, you know what she sent me back? Hun, are you okay? That's bad. And I think like, and then I go on, like with these groups, I go on, I was speaking to Google last week and AstraZeneca, and you know, I, I speak to some corporate groups. And and what's interesting is, is like, should we do that with each other? Like, it's great because mothers are so underappreciated. It's like the easiest, it's like easy one, right? It's like your mom has done so much and gets so little. And but but what if you did that to a boss, mentor, coach, teacher, yeah. you know, of the past? What yeah. if it was one of your colleagues? What if it's your boss? What if it's someone that just checks out of Zoom and doesn't have their photos on? It hasn't had their video on for two weeks. And you're like, hey, let me just check in and tell you, hey, I'm just right. thinking about how you doing. Right. Um, I think the world would be better that way. So that, that's my fear story. Yeah. And my Alexa, my Alexa story was my oldest. Um, boy, she's a spitfire. She's, you know, my friends <laughs> have, have told me that she's a 
she, well, she's not a teenager anymore. She's 21. But they used to say she's a teenage version of you. And they didn't mean that as a compliment. Because I thought it was funny. <laughs> and, um, but she has this incredible infectious energy. Okay. I mean, and she has served all over the world. She, she slept in a, in a dirt floor. She's a little Barbie doll. She sent a, a dirt floor in Zambia and worked with orphans for a summer. Oh, on the next summer, she was in Athens working in a Syrian refugee camp. I went to go visit her. <laughs> I went to go visit her afterwards. I was at a wedding and I went to go, go see her. And I, uh, I was like, I'm walking down the street. She's like, here's the street. I'm like, you, you live here. It's like, yeah, it's a hostel. It's right there. I'm like, the bar's on the window. I mean, it couldn't have been any more seedy. It's like Hell's Kitchen in the 80s, if, if that means anything. Okay? And I, um, but I, I love her. I love her spirit. I love her energy. I love her will to, you know, she's at her best when she's serving others. But that's not what I learned from her. What I learned from her was she, she didn't understand. School was not for her. It's just not for her. Okay. Um, and she's doing great. I mean, her grades in school, I, I can't believe Like Literally in high school, I said to her once, like, just graduate. <laughs> just like, graduate. You're going to do incredible things in the world. Like, I know she is. She's a star, but like, she is not meant to be sit in a classroom. She just, that is not meant for her. She is not meant to learn the way we teach currently. And I think that's a whole other, we could have a whole other session on the failing education system. But this is a wonderful kid that is filled with energy and spirit who will tackle the world someday. Okay. But she cannot sit in a, in a calculus class. Me, I took calc electives in college because I thought it was fun. Okay. So we're just, you know, I love to learn. She loves to learn, but very experientially. Yeah. In the classroom of life. Right. And so, and so how, mm -hmm. as a father, um, mm -hmm. my big takeaway and how I apply that to work is, is okay. Look in the mirror, Scott. Now everybody's you. Okay. Right. Look in the mirror. How, who is succeeding here? Mm -hmm. Who is failing here? And are they failing because they don't care? Are they failing because mm -hmm. they're not smart? Are they failing because they're not hardworking? Maybe, but that's like a, one percent two percent most of the people who are struggling it's environmental okay it's structure maybe it's boss maybe it's position maybe we have to give proper feedback mm -hmm. and i and I, I wonder if if we could be be better leaders if we learned a little bit from alexa because this kid is just thriving right now when so he's scott, out of the world. scott i want to turn to the book for a while here uh and in particular i'm going to focus on what you call your leadership constitution i've seen Many devices out there, a personal board of directors for your leadership and the like. I think I've never stumbled on somebody like you who has a leadership constitution. So if you can give us a couple words about it, and then I'm going to ask you in particular about a line in it. I'm going to read it to the listeners here. I declare that I am a passionate and authentic leader of leaders. So I'm going to ask you about leading other leaders, but Let's, let's back up one notch. Uh, the Constitution. Why did you write it, and what's the purpose? Well, I walked into my brother Michael's office in uh, in Bethesda, Maryland. It's called his company's called Get Well Network, and it's an interactive patient care company. Which, I mean, he's a brilliant leader. He's, he's he's a leader that I look up to and and cherish my conversations and get a lot of my uh, my uh, mojo from, I guess, if you will. So I, I'd saw, seen it in his office and I asked him about it. And he said, uh, Rich Hill, Gabriel Consulting, Chicago. He said, he's working with my leadership team. You should work with him. And so I, he brought, he, he's been with our, our team now for eight years. And, um, and most of our executives go through uh, this exercise to create a leadership constitution. And it's, it's simply an articulation of who you are at your core. And it's meant, you know, for me, it, the, the best tool that it is, is 
when I'm off center, when I'm feeling um, not as my best self, if I'm um, struggling to focus, if I am feeling off in a meeting, I can oftentimes go back and read my leadership constitution. And there will be something in there that I'm not doing and I'm not um, being and I'm not living. And I can simply get that, get me, helps me get me back on track. But it is a great reinforcement to put good, positive energy, not only in your head, but into the world. Great. Fantastic. Um, Scott, I want to take us then back to the first sentence. I'm going to read it again. I declare that I'm a passionate and authentic leader of leaders. And that really caught my eye uh, in part <clears throat> because, believe it or not, we offer a week-long program on learning how to become a leader of leaders. So lots of people lead now in their own way. But uh, as time passes, we're often now put in a position to step up, lead people who are leading. Uh, there's a phrase around we've often used on the program. We had the author of it as a speaker on the program a while back. We need to lead leaders. We need to lead teams of leaders. And then we need to put those teams together in a team of teams. That's a long segue into uh, how you uh, lead other leaders. Just uh, talk about yeah, that. Yeah, sure. It's, it's definitely a passion. When I had this executive hmm. coach. Um, Trisha Nadoff back when I was a president of Madison Square Garden. And I remember her giving me this big lecture. She lectured me a lot. I, I was, I was, I was tough. I was a tough New Yorker. You know, I was tough. Um, I had a huge, huge responsibility, you know, kind of managing and wrangling some of the biggest brands in my mm -hmm. business at the world's most famous arena and the Nick, New York Knicks yeah. and New York Rangers. And, um, and we put a billion dollars into the building and spun the company off to a separately traded public company. It was, it was, there was intensity there all the time. And she came in and she said, Scott, you are a warrior. I was like, that's right. She's like, no, 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 that's not a good thing. I was like, no, no, no it is a good thing. She's like, no, it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. She's like, no, I want you to be a sage. She's like, you have to move from this warrior face to sage. So I was like, but I don't want to be a sage. I want to be a warrior. And, um, and so, <laughs> and then she tried to get me to meditate. So, I will tell you, like, I, 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 I love her and I'm in touch with her still. And I give her so much, so many props. I just wasn't ready to hear it. Um, but as I, as I have matured, fortunately for everyone who's ever worked with me before, um, and as I've grown and I, as I've gathered perspective and experience and, and uh, I've moved, I've, I've moved down the chain or up the chain. And, um, and I, I much more get my joy. She, she said, um, how did she put it? It's not your wins that matter or something like that, which was like that one stung because I, I'm always celebrating others. I, I don't, it's in my leadership constitution. Like I, I don't, it's not about me ever. Um, but she wanted me to evolve to a different place and that, and which I, I believe I'm, I'm much closer to that part now. And, and that's that my joy, I, I told you like my why in life is, is developing leaders. I mean, that's, that's what I want to be. That's who I, that's what gives me joy. Um, successes of others it was what makes me most happy and so so because of that i spend a lot of my time thinking about developing leaders by the way my hbsc this organization i mean i we are it is we are loaded with talent i mean there are so many people who are so much more talented than i was um at their age um it's almost offensive you know it it's it's a wonderful place to work um, and, and I, I don't mean soft. I, we, we win all these culture awards and I have my friends always give me a hard time, um, about the word culture. And I said, you guys don't understand, like cu culture is not soft. Culture is hard. 
I said, it's a culture of accountability. I mean, you can make culture whatever you want. Um, this is a culture where we stretch people. We get things done anyway. Um, so going back to leader leaders, I would say that um, all of us need to, to figure out who we want to be when we're leading an organization. And um, I would like to work with people who inspire me, people who push me, people who are comfortable debating and who want to lead others. I remember this one young leader, he's now uh, not so young, but he's the president of the devils, but he came to us, his name is Jake Reynolds. He came to us, I think when he was 24 or 25. And um, he, we were in a turn, hardcore turnaround. You know, only 12 people are remaining from the organization we inherited. So it, it was a, you know, it's a, a hardcore change situation. And, and I, I was pushing him really hard on his team. And he's young, I mean, he's a young guy. And I'm like, make the decisions now or I'll make them for you. Like that kind of, you know, it was that intent, that intensity around change. And uh, there was this one particular woman who I just kept saying, she's not going to make it. It's not going to make it, you know, like white that whole team. That whole, and there was things going on in that team, which I won't talk about, which they're not inspiring. Got to say that. It, it was, it was a cesspool. It's like Twitter. It's like the Twitter of office, if you will. And I, I was pushing. And finally he came in one day and he's just like, are you going to let me do my job? And I was like, that's right. I said, and I, just, I, I, I like literally winked at him. And I was like, welcome to the team, kid. You know, I was like, okay, we got a horse on our hands, you know? And I said, yep, but it's on you. He's like, that's the way I want it. That's why I took the job. And uh, she ended up becoming one of our, our big stars here. Uh, um, you know, of course, right? That's of course the punchline is he was right. But, but the point, my point is, is like, that's, I mean, now he went on to create one of the great, um, cultures. I call it culture within the culture. I don't know what the, the right phrase is, but um, having worked in very tough environments and situations, um, I I don't take the "woe is me, this place is terrible." I don't take that as an excuse. Um, I don't. I, I I think that we all have this incredible opportunity to create a culture within a culture, no matter where you are. So, and it, it doesn't matter if you're a coordinator, manager, assistant, director, VP, running a group, running a company, president of one of the companies. It's like you own what you own and you have to bring that positive energy and spirit to the environment. You know, we have a chance to either make it better or make it worse every day, each person. And so I put a lot of pressure on everyone from our entry level sales associates all the way up to our presence of our companies. It's like, it's on you. It's on me. Like I, I look, I set the vision, I block and tackle, but it's next woman up. I say, you know, it's like whoever's coming in next has that responsibility and obligation to make this place better. My, my role with leading leaders and leaders is to help develop and train and provide feedback and hold yeah. them accountable when they're not living the way they, they espouse to live, when they're not lead, living their leadership constitution. So, Scott, um, I've, got a, I've got a question on that, and then we're going to turn it over to Ann here. Just to backing up a little bit, let's say, see if I've got the formula right. Do you want to get great people on your staff? Want to give them a lot of leeway? Stanley McChrystal, a former U.S. general, has been on the program, talks about eyes on, hands off, yeah. so give them a lot of authority, <laughs> make certain they get the job done. What would you add to that when it comes to leaders of leaders? Great people, give them a long leash, make certain they get the job done. They are accountable, eyes on, hands off. What, what else would you add? Well, the only thing I'd say just is inspect what you expect. Um, like there has to be levels of accountability. Um, I, I'm all for um, long leash when things are going well. Um, and when things aren't going well, the leash gets a lot tighter. And I don't mean because of the manager or executive. I just mean the pandemic hits. Like there is no long leash for anybody, including me, by the way, with my board. And so, so I, think that, I think that's the hallmark of leading today. 
is that one size doesn't fit all. Like one size doesn't fit all for people you manage, teams you lead. I mean, I have different teams. They all have to be led differently. Um, you know, we have different situations that the world is so much more dynamic than it was when I walked into this workforce 25 years ago. It's so different from what it was 10 years ago when I worked in New York. It's like, I feel like we have to be more, more malleable and that we have, you know, as, as leaders, it can't be, but that's this, this, no, we're going to do it this way. Like, no, like the world is different. I mean, even Gen Z's and millennials, the, the young people, we have a very young, young group, the young group that we're managing, the whole social contract is different. Here's what the social contract is that I understand. You be your authentic self, the leader. If you're not, I'm leaving. Okay. You put out a vision and mission that I want to believe in. That's better than the mundane job I have, or I'm leaving. You give me full transparency, opportunity, access, or I'm leaving. You take positions on, on issues that are important to me, or I'm leaving. And by the way, they, they don't, it's so, I couldn't imagine leaving a job without a job. The young people today are like, see ya. I'm good. What I do, I'm good. I don't have a house. I don't have a car. Like, I don't have any, I'm good. And so, like, we... We are, we, if we either adjust, it's like adjust or die. Like we don't have the luxury that we had as my bosses had early on. I was like, do this. Like, I can't imagine, but almost any situation saying do this unless we're in a crisis where there's hardcore change required. Otherwise it's, it's collaborative. You know, we have to get closer to the situation. That was something I heard uh, growing up, even back when I was uh, um, a student is like, you know, let the people close to the situation get you to intel, make the decisions, you know, all that. It's, it's the only way. Yeah. You know, can you, you know are the, everything is so different now and wonderful. And if you're intellectually curious, you should be leading an organization because you are learning every day. All right, Scott, you've made a great case for everybody to write their own constitution and maybe even a couple of the articles in the Bill of Rights uh, to go with that. So let me remind listeners that you are listening to Leadership in Action, Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm Mike Yuseem, your host, uh, with Ann Greenhall, my friend and colleague, and we are in discussion with Scott O'Neill, CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment, uh, author of a new book, Be Where Your Feet Are. And uh, just as a heads up, we're going to go about 10, min 10 more minutes, uh, listeners, and then we're going to... The three of us are going to do our own after-action review, picking out the points we really want to hang on to. And I strongly encourage you to begin doing the same thing. Anne, in the meantime, over to you. Oh, thank you, Mike. All right, I'm going to follow your lead here, Mike, on the leadership constitution. And we've talked about the first part, you know, I declare. And then the second is you can count on me to be and fill in the blank. And I'd just like to hear from you, Scott, how how you would answer that. But also, what else you've heard? How have other people answered that part of the of the Constitution? Yeah, I read a couple of mine um, just to give you a sense of who I am. Um, I, I have it up here. Bring po I, you can count on me to bring positive energy into my space, exude urgency and push you, challenge you, nudge you and raise the bar beyond what you sometimes think is reasonable. Laugh with you. <laughs> Pride and don't feel love. Mm -hmm. You can count on me to root for you today, every day, and always share the most personal thoughts, emotions, stories, highs and lows, because I'm okay with it and who I am. You can count on me to, to enjoy the roller coaster of life, whether we're going forwards, backwards, or upside down. Drive hard to reach the summit and then quickly start on another mountain and share wins and take hits for losses for you. 
So that's my what you can count on me. So my team has a pretty good sense of who I am and that they can count on me. Um, these are personal, you know, so people, uh, these are emotion. It's emotional to put them together. It's emotional to stand up and read them aloud in front of your peers. Um, and so, but, but it is theirs. Um, this is me, anyone who knows me, and hopefully you get the sense from this podcast, like my leadership constitution, what you can count on me to be is like, it's who I am. It's how I show up every day. Um, but I, I, I will say that, did I, have I learned from my colleagues reading theirs? Yes. Yeah. Have I learned how to manage them and handle them differently? Yes. yes. Have I had challenges and issues with executives on my team? And have I asked them that we, if we could review their leadership constitution, I have. Um, and and sometimes I'm too stubborn to listen. And sometimes <laughs> I'm too um, pigheaded or distracted to focus. And sometimes I go back into my um, kind of uh, old tired old ways, well, you know, old habits. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's a, it's a, it's a great tool. And so, so yes, I, I, and again, I, hopefully it doesn't come across. Like I don't, I don't have all the answers. I'm, I'm interested in, in finding them though. Yeah. And I, well, don't, I have so many more questions than I have answers. Yeah, sorry to jump in on the end of your sentence there, Scott, but what I really appreciate about your leadership constitution is it, it's you're sort of asking us to be our own accountability partner, you know, to just declare, to say, say who we are at our best, how do we want to show up and what others can expect from us. And then, you know, your, your second uh, principle, which we haven't talked too much about here, but is feedback. So once we declare who we are, we put it out there in the world, and then we can get a little bit of feedback from others and accountability from them. So I know time is super short, but just curious if you have some some rules of thumb uh, with respect to giving and taking feedback. Yeah, I sure do. Um, I, I learned this from my mom. So um, the, the first principle is just to ask, are you open to feedback? I think that's the lost art. I really do. Um, you know, we have an expression. I, I keep using this actions we use at work, but we say, are you palms up? Um, which means, are you open to listening? Um, which is the reverse of, you know, I have my arms crossed in front of me. I know everything. I don't want to hear it. And so oftentimes when there's bad news, uh, my, my teammates will come in and say, Scott, I need you to be palms up. And that's, that, that is, that, that is both disarming and alarming at the same time. Because right. I know some bad news. You know. <laughs> I need you to be palms up. But I just love the notion that I need you to be palms up, meaning like, okay, are you hearing me? Are you listening? Are you completely, have you wiped away everything else that's distracting you? Have you cleared away whatever I've told you before? Do we have any baggage that I need to just set aside so I can actually zone in and, and listen? That, that, that's is if you can simply ask for feedback, that's what the other uh, tip from my mom um, that I steal is my own is after you deliver feedback, she says, okay, she asked the person to what she calls test for understanding. Yeah. So I think it's a wonderful okay. way to say it. Mm-hmm. Let me test for understanding. Meaning, let me tell you what I heard you say. Yeah. I think it's another great, great aspect of feedback. So great. All right. I'm going to sneak one quick question in here, Mike. Scott, do you have a favorite sport? Yes, to play or to watch. A great distinction. How about to play? Basketball. I still play. I, co- I coach my daughters, all of them, for 15 years. I coached <laughs> okay. one last night at Moody Park in New Jersey. Um, a wonderful scene. If you uh, the, the sound of a bouncing ball puts me at ease. 
Okay, I love it. Thank you. Mike, over to you. <laughs> uh, Scott, with uh, limited time left, I'd like you to just uh, think, kind of go into your book. And with the limited time available, if you'd like to bring out a couple ideas or lessons that for you have proven really important in developing your own leadership that our listeners would uh, certainly learn from, uh, if you could offer them up as we begin to close down here. Sure. I, I just offer uh, WMI, which stands for what's most important. And here's how I would invite listeners to think about it is if you think about what's most important to you to, for yourself um, in your relationships and at work. So j- just use those. Self can be health and wellness or spiritual, emotional, however you define yourself. And your relationships, obviously, your connections. It can be with your partner, your children, your family, however you define family, your friends, you know, however you define that. Now, obviously, work is work. And then you articulate um, and write down three things in each of those categories that, that, you, that you are saying is what most important, most critically important in your life. And then you do the, the hard work. You audit your calendar. Now, this is the most humbling and sobering experience you will ever have in your life. I promise you. So you have just you set those three categories out with the three um, topics in each one. And you have another category. Anything you're doing in your calendar that's not what's most important to you to in personally and relationship wise and work, you put in another category. The first time I went through this audit, I had 23% of my time was spent on what's most important. Now I'll ask you how important, how, how well I'm doing. My good friend and coach, Brandon Bouchard told me that 65%, I'm sorry, high performers spend 65% of their time um, on the three things that matter most in their work. So high performers spend 65% of their time on the three things that matter most in their work. How much are we spending? Right. How about our relationships? How, how many times you've been at like, hey, do you want to go to lunch? And you go to lunch with someone who you don't want to go to lunch with or three people who give you negative energy. I've done it a thousand times. And yet my friends who I love, who lift me up, who bring me joy, who take me out of the holes when I'm in them, haven't seen them in months because I haven't taken the initiative. How about, you know, yourself? Like, are you taking care of your mind, body, soul? Are you getting a proper amount of sleep? Are you practicing gratitude? Are you putting your phone down, keeping your head up and being where your feet are? How much time? How about at work? What are those three projects you got to take care of? And so I think that audit um, is something you should do regularly once a month. And that has helped me say no more. So say no. Greg McEwen, I don't know if you're Greg McEwen. Uh, I just did his podcast. Great, He's a good friend. Um, Essentialism wrote the book. There's a concept in there called JOMO, the joy of missing out. It's like, well, the, it's the funniest um, concept of all time <laughs> instead of FOMO. And my wife is a total JOMO person. Like she's just so into JOMO and I need to get better at it. But, um, but saying no is, uh, is something that'll help you figure out what, you know, um, how to spend more of your time in what you think is most important. And when, when you don't, you should either change your list or stop the madness, but you have to pick one. Yeah, great, great point. Great, so good. So Scott, we're gonna uh, shift gears here into this final phase of the after action review. We do this in our coursework at uh, Wharton. We do it in programs where we work with mid-career managers. And we're gonna do it now. And the basic idea, as I said at the outset, is to make certain we got a couple of main points people can really hang on to going forward. So um, just to set the stage, Anne, why don't you get us going? Then Scott will go to you and then I, I will sum up. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, And you know, I'm a fan of phrases that I can remember. And I've got a few here. 
So Scott, I really like the title of your book, Be Where Your Feet Are, because it just conjures up that notion of authentic leadership that you're talking about. And then how do you do it? Well, right now, put your phone down and pick your head up. So I think that is just another super great tip. And I'm going to do one more and then then share the floor here. I love your expression. Are your palms up? Are you open to feedback? So those are the my catchphrases that are helping me um, walk away with a lot of lessons learned from this talk in your book. Great. Mike. Anna, and I like the phrase lessons learned. That's what we're doing. Scott, how about yours? Sure. Mine are uh, the last thing we just talked about. Do an audit of your calendar. Yeah. To articulate what's most important in your life and make sure you're um, keeping uh putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. Secondly, um, I love the notion of setting up a phone basket at home and a phone table at work. So when you walk into that conference room, I have your full attention. I have you connecting with people and that I have you focused on what we are, where we are, essentially be where your feet are. And the, the third notion I'd, I'd love to for you to remember that I thought was, was an interesting discussion was just the notion that what you did yesterday might not work today and that you have to be a lifelong learner, be intellectually curious and be open and flexible enough to, to receive feedback and continue to adapt and adjust as we go. I've got four points uh, and I'm going to follow what Ann had done a second ago. I'm going to really just quote you, Scott, or pick up a couple quotable quotes. Number one, palms up speaks for itself. Number two, test your understanding. Test your understanding. Number three, uh, let's focus on what's most important. And I love the idea of a calendar audit. And I even uh, wrote down the benchmark. We got to get to 65% of our calendar focused on what's worthwhile, what's important, what's going to achieve what we want. And, and given the topic of the show, what, what's really going to make a difference in your leadership. And then fourth, though, most important of all for me is the thought of creating your own constitution. I've never seen that before. I think it's a great idea. So, Scott, it's been a privilege to have you on the program. Uh, people know where to buy your book. It's online, of course, uh, in bookstores. How can they find out more about you if they would like to do that? Mostly for me, the best place to get me is on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. Um, that's where I post a lot of uh, articles, et cetera and things that are radically different. All right, everybody. So Scott O'Neill, LinkedIn, there it is. Scott, it's been a real privilege to yeah. in the program. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Thank you, it was great. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, you guys are amazing. Okay, well, thank you, Annette. And uh, just a special thanks to our guest, of course, Scott, uh, one last time. Want to thank our producer, Patty Hall. Go, and Patty. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Shout out to Patty and our sound engineer, Chris Tuke. I'm Mike Yusim. I'm here with Ann Greenhall. And you have been listening to Leadership in Action, business radio powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Come back. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 